0: So I want to begin this morning by asking you two questions. First question is this, who is your faith tied to? If you're already a believer, if you're already a follower of Jesus, who is it that led you to faith in Christ? Who is it that that God used to bring you to that point that you repented of your sins, you trusted Christ, and you surrendered your life to Him? And then if it's a different person, who is the person who helped you grow in your faith? Who is the person that discipled you, mentored you, helped you become the mature believer that you are today? For me, hands down, it is my mom and dad, and there's not even a distant second in there. For y'all that don't know, my dad is a pastor, my mom's a godly lady, I grew up in a pastor's home and my mom and dad were the real deal they loved Jesus with all of their heart they weren't perfect by any means I mean we struggled to have a daily devotional time as a family in our pastor's home and and yet they modeled what it meant to be committed to Jesus and when I was nine years old my dad was preaching and and for the very first time in my life I came under conviction I came to the realization that I personally had sinned against God, that I needed a Savior. And that Sunday morning, I went forward, I talked to my dad, my dad prayed with me, and I turned from my sins and trusted Jesus to save me. And I can look you in the eye and I can say with all integrity, Jesus changed my life. From that moment on, I wanted to live for Jesus. Now, I didn't always do it, and I still don't always do it like I should, but I want to live for Jesus. And immediately, my, my mom and dad both began to disciple me, began to mentor me, began to help me grow in my faith. My dad did it primarily through, one, teaching the Word consistently on a Sunday morning. He always taught the Bible. Typically, he taught through books of the Bible. And and from an early age until I became an older teenager, I sat under his teaching and, and that influenced me. I learned to love God's Word and appreciate God's Word. But then I followed him as he would teach people and he would teach people how to share their faith and and grow as a disciple and as I went to these classes where he would teach others I was taught and he discipled me but then my mom entered into the picture as well when I was growing up this was a long time ago but we used to do Bible drills in the denomination that we belong to And we would have a church Bible drill, and and if you did good enough, you would go to an associational Bible drill, and if you did good enough, you'd go to a regional Bible drill, and then the state Bible drill. And my mom was the one who taught us the Bible drills. And I always, not bragging, well, a little bit, I always made it to the state. And every year, the state Bible drills were at Northside Baptist Church. At our old campus where we used to meet. The very first time I went in there, I went, wait a minute. I've been here before. I've been here when I was a kid. I stood on that stage and looked up scripture. I stood on that stage and quoted verses from memory. And so my mom taught me God's Word and taught me how to find verses and taught me how to hide God's Word in my heart. And because of that, as I became a teenager, even though I struggled and even though there were times in my life that I swayed and even though there were times in my life that, man, I really messed up, I always came back because they had helped build a foundation in me that taught me to love the Lord be committed to the Lord and and depend on the Lord and even as I went off to college and went to a liberal school and and had professors that that doubted and questioned the Word of God I always came back to a truth that I had been taught: that all scripture is given by the inspiration of God And because of the foundation that they had laid in my life, I was able to make it through the tough and difficult times in my life and continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. And so the first question I want to ask you is, who is that person for you? Who is it that your faith is tied to? Because most of us are going to have someone that our faith is tied to, someone who led us to faith, someone who is discipled us, mentored, helped us grow in our faith. But the second question I want to ask you is this. Is your faith strong enough, is your faith strong enough to sustain you when that person is gone? I mean, when you move on and move away from that person or that person moves on or moves away from you or when that person goes on and meets Jesus or, God forbid, when that person Fails God and maybe even turns their back on God, is your faith strong enough to continue to sustain you? Unfortunately, I've got to admit that I know more people than I would care to admit who started off strong who who seem to have strayed from the Lord. People who, who make a profession of faith and it seems to be real. They follow the Lord in baptism. They begin to worship, and the worship seems from a, a heart that is passionate. They begin to serve, they get involved in church, but then something happens. Maybe it's the sin that so easily entangles. The Bible says that, that there is a sin that easily entangles us, and there is a sin that easily entangles you, and maybe, maybe they got trapped or tripped up by that sin. Maybe the cares and concerns of this world became so heavy, became so hard that they just didn't seem like they could keep on. Maybe their faith wasn't real to begin with. It wasn't a real faith. It wasn't a saving faith. It was just words and they didn't really mean it. But perhaps, just perhaps, the problem is their faith was tied to someone else And their faith never grew beyond that person to the one person their faith needs to be in. And that's Jesus. This morning, we're looking at the tenth king of Judah. His name is Joash. He is the eleventh ruler of Judah. Last week, we looked at Jehoram. Jehoram was a king that was so wicked that the Bible says that when he died, no one was sorry that he died. Man, that would be an awful thing to put on your tombstone, wouldn't it? No one was sorry that I died. But that was Jehoram. And he died a tragic death. And and when he died, all of his kids had had died because of Arab marauders who came in and and, um, attacked the land. But one son remained. One son remained alive. His name was Ahaziah. And Ahaziah became king when Jehoram died. He was 22 when he became king. And the Bible says he was just as wicked as the kings of Israel. He was a wicked king. He only lived one year and then he died. When Ah Ahaziah died, his mom, Athaliah, became queen. And when she became queen, she began to put to death all the royal family. But there was one son of Ahaziah. That Ahaziah's sister stole away, she snatched away, and she hid him so that Athaliah could not kill him. His name was Joash. And he remained hidden in the temple of God for six years. And I want us to talk about his story this morning, and as we do, I want you to discover two observations that I believe we see from his life that I believe apply to each and every one of our lives today here's the first observation for most of us our faith is connected to a person for Joash it was his uncle Jehoiada I want you to listen to what it says in 2nd Chronicles chapter 22 verse 10 it says when Athaliah the mother of King Ahaziah of Judah learned that her son was dead she began to destroy the rest of Judah's royal family but Ahaziah's sister Jehosheba, the daughter of King Jehoram, took Ahaziah's infant son, Joash, stole him away from among the rest of the king's children who were about to be killed. She put Joash and his nurse in a bedroom, and this way, Jehosheba, wife of Jehoiada the priest and sister of Ahaziah, hid the child so that Athaliah could not murder him. Joash remained hidden in the temple of God for six years while Athaliah ruled over the land. And so when Athaliah's son was dead she began to put to death all of the royal family that means that she began to systematically kill all of her children and all of her grandchildren now when we hear something like that we think how could anyone do something so heinous something so wicked and yet we need to understand that when we are ruled by our flesh we will do anything to protect ourselves even if it cost removing people who were close to us. And so Athaliah began to put to death all of her family. But Ahaziah, her son's sister, the daughter of the queen, took Ahaziah's youngest son. He was an infant. And he, she took him and hid him in the temple for six years with her husband, Jehoiada, who was the high priest. And Uncle Jehoiada, for six years, protected, provided for, and began to prepare Joash for what God had planned for him. Now, the Bible doesn't say this, but I imagine that for six years, Joash washed his Uncle Jehoiada And the other priests fulfilled the duties of the priesthood, even in the midst of this wicked queen's reign. The entire nation was worshiping pagan gods, but in this temple to the Lord, young Joash saw his uncle, and he saw these other priests remain true to the one true God. I imagine, though the Bible doesn't say this, that every day as Joash began to grow, He would sit with his uncle Jehoiada and his uncle Jehoiada would take the law of God, the word of God, the Holy Scripture, and he would teach him the truth of God's word. The Bible says that if we hide God's word in our heart, it will keep us from sinning against God. And We're told in Deuteronomy chapter 6, at the very earliest ages, we are to begin to teach our children the things of God. And so here is Joash, the son of the king, who is the the nephew of, of this priest, a godly man, who was raised in hiding in the temple for six years. At the end of six years, Jehoiada the priest decides it's time to act. And I want you to notice what it says in 2 Chronicles 23, verse 1, and then we're going to go on to verse 11. It says, in the seventh year of Athaliah's reign, Jehoiada the priest decided to act. Then Jehoiada, in verse 11, and his sons brought out Joash, the king's son, placed the crown on his head and presented him with a copy of God's laws. They anointed him and proclaimed him king, and everyone shouted, long live the king. When Joash was seven years old, Joash decided it's time to act. Athaliah has been ruling the nation for long enough. The people of God have strayed far enough away from God. It's time to bring the nation back to God. And so Jehoiada the priest made a pact with the commanders of the army. He brought them in. He showed them the boy king, Joash. And they made a commitment to protect him. And then Jehoiada sent out a word throughout the land to all of the Levites and all of the leaders throughout Judah to come to the temple, and they did. And when they came to the temple, Jehoiada presented them Joash. And they all made a commitment that Joash, this seven-year-old boy, was going to be their king. And Jehoiada put a, a crown on his head, he put the law of God in his hand, and he was crowned king, seven years old. Some of you are saying, how in the world can a seven-year-old boy rule and reign? Well, you need to understand that age has nothing to do with your service to God. Some of you are, are young. Some of you aren't even in middle school, and you're in here today. And I'm here to tell you, if your heart is fully committed to God, God will use you. Some of you are in middle school, and you're thinking, what can I do? What, how can I make a difference? I'm here to tell you that if your heart is fully committed to God, God will use you. No matter what your age is, God will use you. So here is Jehoiada, seven years old, and he is crowned king. So how was he ready? How was how he able to be king? Well, I believe there are three things. One, God had prepared him. For six years, God had been preparing him. Two, he had the law of God. I believe for six years, Jehoiada had poured into him the truth of God's word. And he knew that if he was going to reign God's people correctly, he needed to rely on the word of God. And he had the word of God, and he relied on the word of God. He trusted it, and he was committed to it. But then third, he had Jehoiada. Jehoiada, his uncle, was there with him every step of the way. And so they crowned him king. Some of you are probably wondering, well, what happened to the queen? Well, it was a coup. And they got the king, they took her outside the temple gates, and they killed her. And then I want you to notice what it says in verse 16. It says, then Jehoiada made a covenant between himself and the king and the people that they would be the Lord's people now you need to understand that for years under at least three kings they had been worshiping pagan gods and now Jehoiada comes in and he says we're not going to do this anymore we're going to worship the one true God we're going to be God's people and they made a covenant covenant is a binding agreement Jehoiada the people The seven-year-old king made this covenant. We will be the Lord's people. We're a covenant church. To be a part of our church, you have to sign a covenant membership. Some of you may say, I don't like that. That's okay. That's all right. But what you need to understand is God's people have always been a covenant people. God's people have always been a covenant people. This past week in Kentucky, a church got all kinds of bad press, a little small church, because they dismissed a number of members from their church who hadn't been to church in years, hadn't given in years. They made contact with them for years, trying to get them to come back, and finally they wrote him a letter and said, Obviously, you don't care about being a member, so you're no longer a member. The press got outraged that the church was taking their membership seriously. One person posted on Twitter, and I think it was great, why don't you get on the Kiwanis? They've got guidelines for membership. Why don't you get on the Civitans? They've got guidelines. You see, God's people have always been a covenant people. That's why we covenant together as God's people that we're going to do certain things. And so immediately when they made this covenant, you know what they did? They went out and they tore down the temple to Baal. They had built a temple to the pagan god Baal in Jerusalem. They tore down the temple. They smashed the altars. They destroyed the idols. And then they brought the priest out and killed them. And some of you are saying, that's harsh. No, it's not. You see, God knew that if they did not completely remove Baal worship, totally and completely, the people would naturally go back to worship of Baal because their flesh was drawn to the fleshly desires that Baal worship satisfied. So God was trying to protect them. And so they removed all of the pagan worship and then they began to worship the one true God. They restored the sacrifices in the temple and they began to sing and praise God again. And then when we get to chapter 24, verse 2, it says this, Joash did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight. Now let's stop there for just a minute. Joash did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight. In the parallel passage in 2 Kings that tells this story, here's what this verse says Joash did what was pleasing in the sight of the Lord all the days of his life. Now, when you read that, you sit back and you go, Joash stayed true all the days of his life, right? Joash served God, Joash honored God, Joash followed God all the days of his life. I mean, that's how you read that, right? Joash did what was pleasing. In the eyes of the Lord all the days of his life. But here's what it says in 2 Chronicles. Joash did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight throughout the lifetime of Jehoiada the priest. So Joash did what was pleasing in the eyes of the Lord as long as Jehoiada was alive. As long as the person who had led him to faith, was alive. As long as the person who had discipled him was alive, as long as the person who held him accountable was alive, he did what was pleasing in the eyes of the Lord. But the way this verse is framed, it prepares us for what's going to happen in just a few minutes. Now, as we continue to read this story, we discover that Joash really did love the Lord. And he loved the temple of the Lord. Can can you listen for just a second? If you love the Lord, you will love the house of the Lord. Did you hear me? You know, occasionally I'll hear people say, well, I love Jesus, I just don't love the church. How can you love Jesus without loving his bride? How can you love Jesus without loving his church? The church is the body of Christ. How can you love Jesus without loving his body? You can't. Joash loved the temple of the Lord and the Bible says that the temple was in disrepair and so Joash acted. I want you to listen to what it says beginning in verses 4 and 5 and and then I want us to go to verse 8 at one point Joash decided to repair and restore the temple of the Lord he summoned the priests and Levites gave them these instructions go to all the towns of Judah collect the required amount of annual offerings so that we can repair the temple of your God do not delay But the Levites did not act immediately. They delayed. So Joash took matters into his own hands. And verse 8, it says, So now the king ordered a chest to be made, and he set it outside the gate leading to the temple of the Lord. Then a proclamation was sent out throughout Judah and Jerusalem, telling the people to bring to the Lord the tax that Moses, the servant of God, had required of the Israelites in the wilderness. This pleased all the leaders and the people, and they gladly brought their money and filled the chest with it. Whenever the chest became full, the Levites would carry it to the king's officials. Then the court secretary and an officer of the high priest would come and empty the chest and take it back to the temple again. This went on day after day, and a large amount of money was collected. Now you may wonder, why was Joash so concerned about the temple of the Lord being in disrepair, and how did it get in disrepair? Well, it, it says a, a, a little bit earlier in verse 7, it says when the um, priests of Baal were in charge, they went into the temple and they took the things in the temple and used it in the worship of Baal. And, and most likely they vandalized, most likely they put graffiti and all things like that up on the temple. They just, they just destroyed the temple. And, and Joash came in and he loved the house of the Lord because he loved the Lord. And so he wanted to repair it. Now some of you are saying, well, what's what's so big about a building? Isn't it the people that matter? And Well, yeah, the people matter, but you need to understand something. In Joash's day, the temple represented God. And so when the temple was beautiful, when the temple was immaculate, when the temple was majestic, it, it was saying that, The God that is worshipped here is beautiful and majestic and is immaculate. And when the temple was in in good shape and when the temple was was immaculate, it was showing that the people cared about the God that they served. And Joash was saying, we have got to show the world that the God we serve is the one true God. And so they took this, this worship in the temple very seriously. And so Joash said, We need to reinstitute the tithe. That's the tax it's talking about. You see, remember, under three rulers, they had been worshiping Baal. The people had quit tithing, they were no longer giving like they should. And Joash realized this and he said, We've got to start back tithing so that the temple of God can be repaired. You see, the tithe for us today. Is so that we can do the ministries and the mission that God has called us to do as a church. The tithe in that day was so that the temple of God could do the ministry and the mission that God had called it to do. But the people weren't tithing, and so Joash said, Okay, issue a proclamation. Everybody needs to start back tithing. And this is what is amazing the people didn't say, What? We got a tithe? No, it says the people joyfully, gladly gave. It said they plea. it pleased them to give. That, that's why, l- listen to me, listen to me. Giving is a hard issue. When we give, it should please us to give. When we give, it should make us glad that we are able to give, that we have that privilege to be able to give. And that's what happened here. And so the people gave and the people gave and the people gave and the temple was repaired and they began to offer sacrifices and they began to worship God again in the temple. And here's what the Bible says. It says, throughout the lifetime of Jehoiada the priest, the people worshipped God. And it says that Jehoiada did good for God and for the temple throughout his lifetime. And so here's my question for you this morning who are you a Jehoiada to not who is your Jehoiada not who is it that's had an impact on your life spiritually no who are you having an impact on spiritually think about it for a second is there anyone in your life that can tie their faith in Jesus to you is there anyone in your life that they have been discipled they have been mentored they have grown in their faith because you have spent time helping them grow in their faith that was Jehoiada to Joash and God wants us all to be Jehoitas. no matter who we are no matter what our gift mix is no matter what our personality may be God wants us to be Jehoiadas, and so my question is Who are you leading to Christ? Who are you discipling in their walk with Christ? But I want you to listen to me. Here's the dangerous part. We can get so busy in working to build the temple or repair the temple that we don't work on the temple You understand what I'm saying? We can get so busy working for God in the church. We can get so busy focusing on buildings and programs and ministries that we neglect our own relationship with God. And we fail to grow. And if we do, that's a dangerous thing and that takes me to the second observation I want us to see here and that is for our faith to sustain us it has to move beyond that person the Jehoiada to the person and that's Jesus so Jehoiada lived hundred and thirty years he died he was honored when he died but then this is what it says after he died verse 17 but after Jehoiada's death the leaders of Judah came and bowed before King Joash and persuaded him to listen to their advice. They decided to abandon the temple of the Lord, the the God of their ancestors and they worshiped Asherah poles and idols instead Because of his sin, divine anger fell on Judah and Jerusalem, yet the Lord sent prophets to bring them back to him. He was patient, he was merciful. The prophets warned them, but God still, or the people still would not listen. Then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, son of Jehoiada the priest, the cousin of Joash, He stood before the people and said, this is what God says. Why do you disobey the Lord's commands and keep yourselves from prospering? You have abandoned the Lord and now he has abandoned you. Then the leaders plotted to kill Zechariah and King Joash ordered that they stone him to death in the courtyard of the Lord's temple. This was how King Joash repaid Jehoiada for his loyalty. By killing his son. Zechariah's last words as he died were May the Lord see what they were doing and avenge my death. You see there comes a point in each of our lives when we must move beyond the faith of those who led us to the Lord and stand on our own faith. As soon as Jehoiada was dead Joash was persuaded to abandon the temple of the Lord. And the people began to worship idols again Joash gave in to peer pressure he turned his back on God and everything that his uncle had taught him he even had his own cousin stoned to death because he was prophesied against the way they were living now how could this have happened was it because his faith wasn't genuine I I don't think so you see I believe all scripture is true and so when it says in second Kings that Joash did what was pleasing in the eyes of the Lord all the days of his life that was true and and yet we read in second Chronicles that Joash was persuaded to abandon the temple of the Lord and and they began to worship the Asherah poles again that's true and so how could he have done what was pleasing in the eyes of the Lord all of his days of his life and yet he did this? The only way, listen, the only way is God's grace. God was not looking at jo- Joash's life without the filter of the grace of God. Do you hear me? But, but maybe, his, maybe his faith wasn't real. Second, maybe he was never discipled. That was the problem. But we know that wasn't the case, was it? Because he was raised by a godly man. He was discipled in the temple. He was prepared throughout his young adult life to do what God had called him to do. He was discipled. Now, why was it that he, he turned from the Lord? Here's what I believe. His faith was tied to a man And not to the God behind the man. And that doesn't mean that Joash didn't love the Lord. It doesn't mean that Joash didn't have a real faith. It just means that his faith never grew to be personal enough. So that it could be sustained through the difficult times and the temptations of life. And and how many of us today can that be true of? someone leads us to faith in Christ they pour into us, they love us unconditionally, they help us grow and then they're gone or we're gone and something happens we no longer love the Lord like we used to we no longer are serving Him like we used to, we're no longer sharing Him like we used to we may even find ourselves living like the world Isn't that what Joash did? And yet it says he did what was pleasing in the eyes of the Lord all the days of his life. How could that be? Is it because he had a faith, but that faith never grew? Never got strong enough to sustain him when he was on his own? Young people, there's coming a day when you're going to be outside of your parents' house. And the question is, when you're outside of your parents' house and you don't have those rules, you don't have those guidelines, you don't have those boundaries, what are you going to do? Statistics reveal that more and more teenagers are abandoning the faith. Why? Maybe because their faith never grows beyond the person that it's tied to. A parent, a pastor, a teacher, a mentor. If our faith is going to sustain us through the difficulties of life, through the temptations of life, through the trials of life, our faith has to grow beyond a person and be in the person who is Jesus Christ. And that faith has to run deep and the roots have to be planted strong so that whatever comes, we will remain true. And so is your faith growing. Is your faith maturing? Now here's my hope. My hope is that through the testimony of Joash, we have a story of how even in the midst of an epic failure, God's grace remains. In the midst of turning his back on God, at least to us, what seems like completely, God remained true to Joash. Aren't you glad that we have a God that remains true to us even when we don't remain true to Him? Now for some of you, that sounds awful dangerous. You're saying, well, can't people abuse that and misuse that? No. I mean, anyone that wants to abuse that and misuses that have never understood the grace of God. When you understand the grace of God, you're not going to want to abuse the grace of God. You're going to want to bask in the grace of God and you're going to want to love the God of that grace. But I am so glad we have a God that even in our epic failures, He loves us. But, listen, listen, His grace for us, even in the midst of our failures, doesn't necessarily keep us from the consequences of our choices. Did you hear me? Let's go back to Joash. Because Joash abandoned the temple of the Lord, because Joash abandoned the Lord, God sent Arameans to Jerusalem. They ransacked the city. Joash was mortally, or not mortally, but severely wounded. As he lay in his bed, we are told at the end of chapter 24, that his most trusted advisors came in and assassinated him. It says in Galatians 6, we reap what we sow. We reap what we sow. You see, God's grace, God's grace will provide forgiveness. God's grace will provide redemption. God's grace will sustain us and get us to heaven, even in the midst of what seems like no faith at all. But God's grace will not keep us from the consequences of our choices. Joash had to experience that. What about you? So as we close, I want to ask you two things. Who are you Jehoiada to? Whose faith is tied to you? Let's find somebody. And then second, is your faith strong enough to sustain you when that person who led you and discipled you is gone? If it's not start growing. I want you to bow your head. I want you to close your eyes. And with your head bowed and with your eyes closed, if you're here and you've never established faith in Jesus, you've never put your trust in Him to be your Savior and Lord, then that's what you need to do today. And I don't want you just to do that just because I sat back and threw it out to you. But if you're here and you recognize, you realize that that's something you need to do today. You need to turn from your sin. You need to acknowledge your sinfulness before God. Ask Him to save you. Ask Him to come into your life and, and guide you and direct you. If that's something you want to do, then the only reason you want to do that is because the Lord is drawing you to Himself. And so let me encourage you right here, right now, to humble yourself before Him and give yourself to Him. You can pray this prayer to Him right now. Dear God, I come to you this morning humbly asking you to forgive me. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I have done life my way. I don't want to live this way anymore. God, I know you love me. You sent Jesus to save me. Today, I'm placing my trust in Jesus giving my life to you. Come into my heart, change me, make me new. From this moment on, Jesus, I want to live for you. Thank you for hearing my prayer.